0: The Three Questions, based on a story by Leo Tolstoy There was once a boy named Nikolai who sometimes felt uncertain about the right way to act. I want to be a good person, he told his friends. But I don't always know the best way to do that. Nikolai's friends understood and they wanted to help him. If only I could find the answers to my three questions, Nikolai continued. Then I would always know what to do. When is the best time to do things? Who is the most important one? What is the right thing to do? Nikolai's friends considered his first question. Then Sonya, the heron, spoke. To know the best time to do things, one must plan in advance, she said. Gogol, the monkey, who had been rooting through some leaves to find something good to eat, said... You will know when to do things if you watch and pay close attention." Then Pushkin, the dog, who was just dozing off, rolled over and said, "'You can't pay attention to everything yourself. You need a pack to keep watch and help you decide when to do things. For example, Gogol, a coconut is about to fall on your head." Nikolai thought for a moment. Then he asked his second question. Who is the most important one? Those who are closest to heaven, said Sonya, circling up into the sky. Those who know how to heal the sick, said Gogol, stroking his bruised noggin. Those who make the rules, growled Pushkin. Nikolai thought some more, then he asked the third question. What is the right thing to do? Flying, said Sonia. Having fun all the time, laughed Gogol. Fighting, barked Pushkin right away. Then the boy thought for a while. He loved his friends. He knew they were all trying their best to help him answer his questions, but their answers didn't seem quite right. Then an idea came to him. I know, he thought. I will ask Leo, the turtle. He has lived a very long time. Surely he will know the answers I am looking for. Nikolai hiked up into the mountains where the old turtle lived all alone. When Nikolai arrived, he found Leo digging a garden. The turtle was old and digging was hard for him. I have three questions and I came to ask for your help, Nikolai said. When is the best time to do things? Who is the most important one? What is the right thing to do? Leo listened carefully, but he only smiled. Then he went on with his digging. "'You must be tired,' Nikolai said at last. "'Let me help you.' The turtle gave him his shovel and thanked him. And because it was easier for a young boy to dig than it was for an old turtle, Nikolai kept on digging until the rows were finished. But just as he finished, the wind blew wildly and rain burst from darkened clouds. As they moved toward the cottage for shelter, Nikolai suddenly heard a cry for help. Running down the path, he found a panda whose leg had been injured by a fallen tree. Carefully, Nikolai carried her into Leo's house and made a splint for her leg with a stick of bamboo. The storm raged on. Banging at the doors and windows, the panda woke up. "'Where am I?' she said. And where is my child?" The boy ran out of the cottage and down the path. The roar of the storm was deafening. Pushing against the howling wind and drenching rain, he ran farther into the forest. There he found the panda's child cold and shivering on the ground. The little panda was wet and scared, but alive. Nikolai carried her inside and made her warm and dry. Then he laid her into her mother's arms. Leo smiled when he saw what the boy had done. The next morning the sun was warm, birds sang and all was well with the world. The panda's leg was healing nicely and she thanked Nikolai for saving her and her baby from the storm. At that moment, Sonia, Gogol and Pushkin arrived to make sure everyone was alright. Nikolai felt great peace within himself. He had wonderful friends and he had saved the panda and her child. But he also felt disappointed. He still had not found the answers to his three questions. So he asked Leo one more time. The old turtle looked at the boy. But your questions have been answered, he said. They have? Asked the boy. Yesterday, if you had not stayed to help me dig my garden, you wouldn't have heard the panda's cries for help in the storm. Therefore, the most important time was the time you spent digging the garden. The most important one at that time was me, and the most important thing to do was to help me with my garden. Later, when you found the injured panda, the most important time was the time you spent mending her leg and saving her child. The most important ones were the panda and her baby. And the most important thing to do was to take care of them and make them safe. Remember then that there is only one important time and that time is now. The most important one is always the one you are with. And the most important thing to do is good for the one who is standing at your side. For these, my dear boy, are the answers to what is most important in this world. This is why we are here.
1: We are starting a new series in this season of March and April. And we're going to be lifting the proverbial hood of our spiritual lives, taking a look inside, seeing what's working What's not? Tinkering a little, perhaps, and assessing at how we're doing and how we're navigating. Many of us who either long ago or more recently have found our way to SSUC have come from very different spiritual experiences. Some of you have come from other traditions entirely, some from a more evangelical upbringing, many of you from what you might call a liberal united church tradition or something similar and some of you weren't raised or had any past experience in the christian tradition at all but have come with ideas and notions from pop culture from what we've gleaned of the christian church for some of us this might be a positive memory and experience wherever we've come from. For others, maybe a more negative or traumatizing past. Either way, it's important to always be evaluating what we learned, how we were formed early on, what we've unlearned along the way, what we now understand in light of where we are now on our journey, regardless of where that is. The concept of deconstruction is a concept that has come to the surface in many Christian settings. One might define deconstruction in this sense as the reverse of indoctrination. The process of systematically pulling apart and evaluating and assessing one's beliefs. I've called this series, I Once Believed, reframing a traditional christian past for many who have been on a deconstruction path or let's call it a path of reevaluating what we once believed one of the hardest parts of that process is the fear that if we start dismantling long held understandings that there will be nothing left in its place And we'll feel somewhat lost. Now this might be unavoidable. Whenever we look closely at the things that have uh, been frameworks for us, we are always at risk of losing something that was helpful at one time. But as a process, it's perhaps more fruitful for us to think of it not as deconstructing, but as reframing. Which might allow the same evaluation and evolution to happen while at the same time offering alternatives to what we might decide to discard and or new ways of understanding concepts that have relevance for our living today. So, over the next few weeks, we'll look at different facets of the Christian tradition different beliefs that many of us learned as basics of Christianity. And we'll ask, are they really? We'll dig into the motivations for them, the potential harm that they can cause, and share some new understandings, some expansive alternatives that won't leave us rudderless, and move the conversation along. This series is for those that have been doing this work for years and years, and it's for those who are just starting to think about what it is that being a spiritual seeker, that doing so in a context of perhaps a Christian tradition, either from the past or because there's intrigue there, what it all means. And I know we likely want to dive right in to some of those examples that you've been sharing with me over the last few weeks, and I'm grateful for those. Who or what God is, beliefs around Jesus, around baptism, around what the Bible is and its place, we'll get to all of those. But first, I think it might be helpful for us to ask the question, what do we mean by beliefs? What is that word, and why are we using it? And should we? That is probably where we need to start. Whether we like it or not, we're rooted in a tradition of belief. It is really hard to get away from it, as much as we try. Written beliefs have always been an attempt to have a group of people give intellectual assent to something that defines the limits, the boundaries of thought. Every tradition has them that says, well, this is what it means. This is the box around, within, which our tradition works. And really, since the 4th century, codified creeds and statements have become a way for the church to do a lot of things, but mostly to exert power, to delineate orthodoxy, which is just to make sure that everyone is in that box— And so define who is in and who is out. Whenever we use written and static documents rather than having conversations in trying to understand one another, the church has learned through centuries of experience that it has dismal results. I should say the church has learned, but maybe I should say some in the church have learned that it has dismal results trials burnings at the stake defrockings beheadings wars schisms extremisms and every manner of violence for as much as the good of for as much as the writings of any text might inspire might promote social justice or positive change Dogmatic belief systems have more frequently been used or misused to exclude, to uphold evil, unjust, harmful, and violent programs and empires. So, to speak personally, and I know that many of you have experiences connected directly to this kind of misuse and abuse many in our community have been harmed by the exclusion, the rigidness, the hatred that's born of that kind of dogma. And if not us directly, then we've witnessed it and needed to act as a result. Social issues, areas of justice, acceptance of people just as they are, decisions to shame or exclude. These are painful and lasting wounds that many of us still bear. And we need to heal from them. We need to talk about them. We need to ensure that they don't continue. Our culture, our 21st century society is past ready, so past ready to be done with these kinds of sweeping statements or beliefs or creeds that define what life should be, that delineate what should be believed about what and whom. What more evidence do we need than than approximately... 65, 75 years of decline in organized religious institutions. And that's across the board. Understand that that is left, that is center, that is right. Religious institutions across the spectrum, increasingly in decline, increasingly, some would argue, irrelevant the world. So that's not a new thought, right? We could have a whole series on the history of the battle between Christianity, uh, in Christianity, between faith and belief, between how it's lived out. For generations, various authors have written and communities have picked up the concept that what we're about isn't about what we think or subscribing to certain tenets, but about a way of being. So, a way of being is what we need to focus on. But it doesn't mean that those beliefs still aren't there in us. Even if we've moved past them, they still have an emotional impact on us. We know that a more fruitful direction is in having conversations around what informs our behavior. What am I giving my time and my energy to in order that I might make my life a positive influence in the world? What standards do I use every day to ponder my relationships, my financial decisions, my standing up for another? What motivates my work? Shockingly, however, the movement of Christianity is not there yet. Can you imagine... A church experience every week where you gather to talk about belief in, say, the Trinity, or how Jesus was or wasn't God, or what might happen if the priest or minister uses the wrong words in a sacrament. What would be the point of that to our living positive, valuable, and loving lives? The answer, nothing, no point. And yet, sadly, so many churches, even within our own circles, are still wasting time on these kinds of things. I'm going to read two passages that are meaningful to me on this topic. Here's the first one. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later, he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second son and said the same, and he answered, I'll go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Jesus' followers said, the first And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, all the ones you consider less than and unworthy will be experiencing the spiritual life more fully than you. Here's another one. Jesus spoke. Knowing the correct password, saying master or Lord, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. You strut up to me and say, Master, we preached the message, we bashed the demons, our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And you know what I will say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. These two simple stories from centuries ago are condemnations of empty words. It doesn't matter what you say you'll do. It doesn't matter what you believe or who you say you know. It doesn't matter what religious box is checked on your census form. What matters is what good you do. There are multiple examples of these kinds of harsh words in spiritual writings for those who emphasize beliefs over behavior dogma-overlived values. John Shelby Spong, uh, quite a few years ago, wrote, the task of religion is not to turn us into proper believers. It is to deepen the personal within us, to embrace the power of life, to expand our consciousness, in order that we might see things that eyes do not normally see. So what we're reaching for, I think we all agree, is a life that is about giving your heart to the things you find important. The values you commit to, something different than agreeing to a list of propositions, a list of beliefs. Uh, Just another quote here from Sharon Salzberg in her book, Faith. For our spirits to be alive and to deepen, we need to use our power to inquire, to wonder, to explore our experience, to see what is true for ourselves. It means we have to be inquisitive, eager, self-confident, Capacity to probe and question, open to the messiness, the discordance, the ambivalence, and the vitality of questioning. Only this way will our faith be our own and not something borrowed. So, this is a, this is a key piece for me when we start talking about beliefs. We can't inherit some belief, some idea, some set of values that we ought to believe. We can't just take that in, be taught that, be, uh, and absorb that. We can't inherit it from the previous generation. But neither, and maybe even more importantly, neither can we inherit it from our past selves. We can't presume that something true will always be true. There are things that are true for us as children, as teens, as young adults, that we then outgrow. There are coping mechanisms that are helpful when there are no other answers, but when others are found, these first ones are no longer needed. That is the whole point of the story of the Garden of Eden, by the way, a very primal beginning story in the Judeo-Christian tradition. And right from the get-go, this story, the wisdom of this story, shares that we mature at different times and different speeds, but we mature and discover for ourselves good and evil, and eventually find the adult things that we need in order to make our way out of the garden. Leaving the garden ain't a punishment. It is what we all do when we leave our past selves behind, when we leave our childhood behind. We all leave the garden. And the very fundamental story at the very beginning of two major religions is saying, mature at whatever pace you mature, Put away the things that worked for you in childhood and prepare to leave the garden. Prepare to leave your childhood. Prepare for adult questions and adult solutions. What we all desire is to come to a sense of meaning and value for ourselves. Open to sacredness in every place and in every person and aware of the messiness and the struggle of that. And this is why this series. It's one thing to say to each other, yes, we reject the idea of this way of going about religion or spirituality. We reject this idea of the Christian faith in favor of this one. That happens in our conscious thought. But, 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 the reality is that many of us were formed in a traditional stream and now find ourselves swimming in another. And there are questions unexplored still. There is trauma unresolved. There is understandable confusion about what it is we really do think about all of this. So yes, let's spend some time on some of those ideas that are hard to shake. Or at the very least, the emotional connection we have. Whether comfort or hurt, that may still be with us. So I invite you into a spiritual checkup. Reaching toward that inquisitive, eager, self confident capacity to probe and to question, and open to the messiness of our pasts, how we were formed in whatever spiritual tradition we were formed in, and what impact that has on where we are now. Spiritual awareness is being honest with ourselves intellectually, with what makes sense to us, what contributed. Contributes to our understanding of life and our view of the world and the values we hold. Being true also to our emotions, what we truly miss, what we truly need to leave behind, what we truly need to hold on to. Being honest about difficult questions like the purpose of the sacredness in our life and what, do we use, what words do we use and what do we mean when we say them? There's no lightning bolt that will strike if we simply say, you know what, this used to work for me and it doesn't anymore and I'm putting it aside. It's messy and uncomfortable, but that is the human journey that we're on and we'll do that together together. We can't borrow it or adopt it. It can't be inherited or assumed. It's yours and yours alone. And yet shared in safe places like this. So may we continue creating our journey with one another, creating the lives we wish to live, the world that will be better impacted because of it. And as we work to do that with each other over the coming days and weeks, May it be so for us in healthy ways.